About 11 months ago, right when the pandemic began to force adjustments in our life, I came up with this simple little phrase. It goes like this. If we're going to go through this, we might as well grow through this. Now, of course, at that point, I figured the learning time would be, you know, maybe three to six months at most. Like many others, I really had not anticipated it becoming a year-long project. Now, I realize there's a risk of framing a prepared message with the experience of the pandemic because, frankly, we're all probably pretty tired, we're all pretty exhausted, and we're all probably pretty frustrated. I think pandemic fatigue is a very real thing. So the moment you hear me, you me mention the word pandemic, you probably want to turn off the video, you might want to turn off the audio, and tune into something else. And I totally get that, and I understand. But I also hope you'll hang in there with me for a bit, because I believe, as I've often said before, life itself can be one of our greatest teachers. Life is often where we move from our head to our heart, down to our soul. It's in our life experiences that we begin to find out how much of our head knowledge has moved into our heart. It's in our life experiences that we begin to discover what works and what doesn't work. And it's in our life experiences that we often become much more aware of who we are personally, what matters to us, and what doesn't matter to us, and maybe what we need to unlearn and what we need to learn. In fact, even in this fog of uncertainty, certain life experiences give us a certain clarity. And this clarity is sort of what happened to me a couple weeks ago. In my message last week, I shared with you 10 lessons that I've learned through the pandemic. And I called them pandemic reflections. And I shared them as my own personal story of sort of what I had become aware of or have learned over the past few months. Now, in a sense, they were areas of clarity that have emerged for me during these times of uncertainty. Now, clarity at this point doesn't mean they are convictions and they may eventually become convictions of some type. But clarity in this context means there have been some areas that have become more clear to me as I have journeyed through this pandemic. Areas of growth. I might even call them growing edges. As I sat with these 10 areas, I boil them down to even seven themes. So my intention is to take a theme a week and share them with you leading up to the one-year date that we transitioned out of the meeting house into a whole new way of being and doing, which is about the second week of March. And my hope is really twofold, that I'll harvest some learning and understanding about myself, my world, my faith through this kind of reflecting, and I hope that it will encourage you um, to take time to listen to your own life, to pay attention what has become more clear to you, to pay attention to what this past year has taught you, to pay attention to maybe what you might need to unlearn and what you need to learn or what you are learning. So I guess the best place to start with is this term simplicity. One of my learnings is this. I have rediscovered the value of simplicity and the simple things of life and have paid more attention to what feels essential and not essential. In other words, how how have I made life too complicated? And what would it look like to recover what I call this posture or disposition of simplicity? And one of my favorite passages in the scriptures comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is like reading the journal of a person, a person on a search for what really matters in life, on a search for meaning, a search for happiness, a search for purpose. The first verse in Ecclesiastes kind of gives an indication that it was written by King Solomon, and it opens this way. These are the words of the philosopher David's son, 
who was king in Jerusalem. It is useless, useless, said the philosopher. Life is useless, all useless. And for the writer, everything seems useless because there's nothing new to learn, they feel. There's nothing new to be created, they feel. You can't even change the way things are. The metaphor the writer uses is you can't straighten out what is crooked. So the first chapter really is this kind of setting up of what's to come. As the rest of the book is this search for what really matters, what really makes a person happy, what true wisdom looks like, and what it means to live in relationship with God. In fact, the book ends this way. Son, there's something else to watch out for. There is no end to the writing of books, and too much study will wear you out. Now, I used to use that as uh, my, my excuse in college and high school, which didn't work too well. But what really the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is this, that just amassing more and more and more information is exhausting. And it can be exhausting, and in fact, it's useless if it's not coupled with reflection. Reflection as to how to bring deeper meaning and purpose to our lives. And then the writer ends this way. After all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands because this is all that humanity was created for. God is going to judge everything we do, whether good or bad, even things done in secret. The writer ends with a real sense of how life is completely engulfed and embraced by this presence of God. So if I were to sum up Ecclesiastes this way, I would say it really is a, a journal that invites us to do two things, reverence life, because God is in everything and God is around us and God is teaching us, and reflect on life. For as we reverence life and we reflect on life, we will begin to learn and understand what we need to know. So what does simplicity have to do with all of this? Well, about halfway through this, what I call philosopher's journal, there is this sentence in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29, and it reads this way. This is all that I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Now, I actually think it's interesting that about halfway through this book, we get this verse, this awareness that God has made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Because, you know, I find that it's about halfway through a person's life that they have this aha moment where they realize that God has made us plain and simple. Life is kind of plain and simple, but we somehow ourselves have made it very, very complicated. Now granted, life gets complicated on its own without our help. It just, it just is. Each season of life brings its own challenges, its own complications, whether it's the teen years, young adulthood, it's middle age, it's retirement years, it's starting a family, it's negotiating life with a teenager whether it's the early, middle, or later years of marriage. Each season has its own challenges and its own complications. Even our own spiritual journey has these different seasons of life in which there are complications, and I think constantly growing in our spiritual life is a way of constantly reflecting on how we can move from all the complexity of it down to the simplicity of our own spiritual journey. As the philosopher, again, in Ecclesiastes puts it, there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heavens. So everything has its seasons, I believe. Parenting, marriage, aging, our jobs and vocations, and even congregations and churches. Everything has its season, and everything has its challenges and complications. And even this pandemic is a season. Now granted, it is a season of challenge, 
It is a season of huge challenge. And whatever name you want to call it, but it is a season. And we can't just avoid life or these challenges as appealing as that might seem. So I think, or at least I want to invite or suggest this, that the key is, what are the anchors of simplicity that keep us from drifting too far into the complications of life so that we don't drift so far we can't find our way back? Would we drift so far into the, into the complications of life and we can't find our way back? That's when I think our soul gets cynical and exhausted. And you can even hear that in Ecclesiastes. We lose that hunger to grow and to develop ourselves personally. And instead, we end up staying stuck, whatever stuck looks like for us. And then we look for ways to blame life and blame others for our misery. You see, to anchor ourselves to simplicity not only keeps us from drifting, I think it keeps us open to further growth, further development of our soul and of our life. We begin to get clarity around what really matters, and we begin to organize our lives, I think, and our energy around what really matters. Again, as this philosopher in Ecclesiastes puts it, this is all I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. So, I've reflected on my own learnings, um, because again, the writer says, this is all I have learned. There's a learning process to it. There's an unlearning, and there is a learning. So I've reflected on uh, my learnings, and here are four anchors that I just want to share with you that, have, um, that keep me from drifting. And I want you to think about maybe what your anchors would be. First, contemplative prayer. Now, every Wednesday and Sunday evening, we offer a 30-minute contemplative prayer time that includes sharing, includes mutual encouragement, reflecting, and silence. And sometimes there is about 10 to 15 minutes of silence, but it's often in that silence that the greatest awareness is experienced. You see, contemplative prayer isn't just for monks. It's not just for introverted folks. It's not for those who are just really serious about prayer. Contemplative prayer is for everyone and anyone, and it offers the person a space to simply be and to not worry about having to do all the time. It's a space, as I like to say, it's a space and a way to clear out all the emotional junk within and to clear a space and to let it all dissolve away. And for God's love simply to be present and to rest in God's love. It's in these moments that, of silence and contemplative prayer that I have often received my greatest clarity as well as my greatest comfort. It's a time in which I can step away from all the noise of the world and all the voices of everyone's expectations and simply hear God's voice of love. It's often in these moments that I have found that an inward courage rises up as to who I am and what I value begins to get more clarified and then the next steps in my life begin to take shape. Now that doesn't happen every time I'm in this posture of contemplative prayer, but more often than not, when I make space for this silence to listen that space allows that to happen or the potential for it to happen more often than not. Second, um, an anchor for me in simplicity has been cultivating what I call the simple gifts. One thing the pandemic has shown me is this beauty of simple gifts, like simply sitting outside on a summer or spring evening, sitting around a fire pit on a cool autumn or winter evening, sp spending extended conversation with family and friends, a long walk on a greenway, a hike in a state park, reading a good book, enjoying a puzzle, cooking a good meal, or even finally getting to some projects around the house. I discovered how easy, uh, for me at least,
how easy it had been to binge on artificial forms of enter entertainment, to use it kind of as an escape. And I'd forgotten all the simple gifts that existed around me that I didn't have to pay for that were just there to be cultivated and enjoyed. We live in this entertainment culture where we look for artificial means often to entertain or distract us when often the best gifts have been around us all the time. Gifts to enjoy and that breathe life back into our souls. And sometimes those gifts are where we already live, where we already exist. Sometimes they're outside in nature but there can be gifts all around us. And one thing I have learned to do through this time is to cultivate those simple gifts and pay attention of the gratitude that rises up within me. Third, uh, one of the uh, anchors of simplicity has been to have compassion with oneself, with myself and with others. There's a way I can make receiving God's love and loving others way too complicated. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but I know that I do. I complicate God's love for me when I believe there are still things I must do to earn God's love or there's things I've done that separate myself from God's love. Now, neither of these is possible. You can't be separated from God's love. Paul tells us that in Romans. I also sometimes make it way too complicated when it comes to loving others by making sure that they align with my expectations, my judgments, my preferences, and my loyalties before I love them. And then I hear words are Paul's words in his letter to the Ephesians when he wrote, be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other. In the same way, God forgave you in Christ. Now that's pretty plain and simple. God is compassionate. God is kind. God is forgiving towards me. So I'm invited to be that way with myself and with others. And the beautiful simplicity in this is that when we let go of our expectations and judgments of others, as well as our bitterness and our grudges, we are freed up from this weight of carrying all that around with us. And we're simply free to love others as they choose to live their lives in the way that they choose. I don't have to ma manipulate them into my image. I don't have to force them into something that I would rather see. I can simply offer them compassion. I simply love them as God loves me and pray that they will flourish in God's love for them. And during this pandemic season, many folks are struggling with their own emotions their own frustrations, their own impatience, their own fear, and sometimes even their own anxiousness and depression. And compassion invites me to simply be a presence, to not force them into having to act a certain way, but to offer empathy and to realize that life is hard for them right now and they simply need presence and a listening ear. And I think this compassionate posture as well um, goes for each one of us, to have compassion for ourselves, to be easy on ourselves, to give ourselves, as we often like to say, some self-care. Because if God is compassionate towards us, we can be compassionate towards ourselves and simply, simply um, be present in that simplicity of compassion, compassionate care by God. And lastly, um, in this experience of anchoring to simplicity, I have begun to claim some of my convictions. And what I mean is this. Life in its challenges many times has a way of clearing away the clutter and helping us get clear about our convictions. Now, this doesn't have to be from a posture of arrogance because a person with convictions isn't necessarily an arrogant person. To be sure, there's folks who live their convictions with a certain kind of arrogance, but that doesn't really negate the value of being clear about who you are and getting clear in your own heart and in your own soul. As challenging as the last 10 to 11 months have been, it's helped me to get clarity about my convictions in certain areas of my life and my own spiritual journey. 
And these areas include how I spend my time, to how I understand life together as a, a faith community, to, to how I've uh, come to understand what it means to be the church, to what it means for me to live in the way of Jesus and the Quaker way, right down to how I begin to engage political issues and justice issues of our day. Now, I don't believe this clarity is given to me so I can now confront and challenge everyone I know and change them or persuade them. Um, I don't think that's the case. Rather, these convictions and clarity help to shape and form how I live and how my life um, is best experienced and how that shows up every day. As Quakers often like to say, let your life speak. Or as the late Maya Angelou put it, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. You see, our convictions are this soil from which our values and actions grow. And Jesus said it best when he pointed out that you will know them by your fruit. So how has the last year challenged your convictions? How has the last year shaped and formed or reformed your convictions? What has become more clear to you now than it was before? What values have changed for you? And what are you beginning to value even more? One thing has become very clear to me. We're being formed and shaped every day. And this forming and shaping ends up determining who we become as well as the loyalties that we will espouse and the actions we take. So how much am I being formed and shaped by the way of Jesus and being formed and shaped by God's intentions for our world? You know, one of my inspirations for this message was a short piece written by the Native American Episcopalian Bishop Stephen Charleston. And this past Friday, he offered these words, quote, It looks like we will have to fight the virus for many more months to come. So I have been focusing on what will get us through such a protracted struggle. And I think I'm beginning to know what will work. It will be the simple things in life. The things we do naturally, talking on the phone to an old friend, playing online with a grandchild, Funny stories and long walks, favorite movies and best books, time to sit in perfect stillness, time to do the chores, time to volunteer to help, patience and prayer, calmness and assurance, the energy of faith pulsing just beneath the surface of life, full of hope, full of promise, old traditions and new discoveries, kindness and determination, truth and lots of it, good leadership and accurate information, clear heads and honest hearts, people of every sort and condition with no exceptions, learning how to trust and how to recreate community, grace and love and kindness and healing and vision. All of this will get us through, he writes. All of this and so much more. And then he closes with this. Your list will be as good as mine and as long and as hopeful. He's made his list. I've given you my so-called anchors of simplicity. So what would be your list? What are the places of simplicity you have discovered during this time? What are the non-essentials that you have begun to see that need uh, to be uh, cut out of your life or let go? And what feels essential? You know, the philosopher in Ecclesiastes again reminds us, God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Not life itself necessarily, but we ourselves have made ourselves complicated. So what will your simplicity list look like? What are the unessentials, again, in your life that you need to let go of? What are the essentials that you can embrace and that will also give your life focus? You know, friends, that as Quakers have espoused simplicity as one of our central testimonies. And really, 
A testimony is a way we live our lives as the fruit of our ongoing relationship with the living Christ. It's a way of living life, simplicity is, it's a way of living life at a very sustainable pace so that we're able to have the energy to focus on what truly matters and how we steward our lives and our world in a way that reverences God's gifts. Simplicity is a way of enjoying life and its simple gifts and not feeling like we have to have more and more and more and do more and more and more simply to have joy in our life. As my friend Phil Gulley wrote, quote, simplicity is a journey. Each year, each experience, each encounter is instructive. So yeah, even pandemics can be instructive. Even the tough challenges of life can be instructive. Even long journeys can be instructive. And even uh, challenging and tough seasons can be instructive. So how are you going to keep yourself anchored to simplicity? What have you learned through this time? What are you learning this time? And what simple gifts have begun to emerge in your life?